This message comes from NPR sponsor StoryPoint Vineyards, maker of StoryPoint, a new wine brand who believes in the power of stories told from different perspectives. As a special offer, shipping is included in your online order. Visit storypointvineyards.com story. People often come to StoryCorps to reflect on the experiences that have shaped their lives. And sometimes looking back and talking about the past isn't easy. It takes a lot of courage. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm your host, Jasmine Morris. This week, we'll hear from two men on surviving a dark chapter in U.S. history and how decades later, they finally found the words to talk about it. Our first story comes from Shig Yabu, who was just 10 years old in 1941 when the news broke that Japan had attacked Pearl Harbor. Ten weeks after the bombing, President Franklin D. Roosevelt issued an executive order leading to the forced relocation and incarceration of more than 100,000 people of Japanese descent. At 87 years old, Shig came to StoryCorps with his grandson to remember his experiences of being an internee at the Heart Mountain Relocation Center in Wyoming. At the very beginning, we were not allowed to go beyond the barbed wire fence. But it didn't take long for the guards to figure out If we were to escape, where are we going to go? So we spread the barbed wire, and we would all take turns crawling through. We found a little pond area. That became our private swimming pool, and we became slingshot shooters. One day, one of the boys said, I bet no one could hit that magpie nest, which is very high up on the willow tree. But eventually, we hit the nest. It hit the ground, rolled, and stopped. And when I peeked in, this little baby bird was begging for food. And I decided to adopt that magpie, which I called Maggie. My stepfather made a cage. And every time I left or returned, I would say, hello, Maggie. And she repeated, hello, Maggie. And if somebody laughed, she could imitate the exact laughter, which meant, Kids, seniors, teenagers, you name it, all came to see her. That magpie loved people. I don't think she realized she was a bird. During the summer, we allowed Maggie to go out and roam between the barracks. And she was like a social worker. She was so compassionate with the internees. August the 14th, 1945, the sirens went off. So we knew that the war was going to end. But our family did not leave, not till the next to the last train. Each week, we would go to the train track and wave goodbye and good luck to those leaving. So Heart Mountain became a ghost town. It was the saddest feeling because there was nobody to play with. But I was fortunate. Maggie and I would talk for hours. Well, two weeks before we left, Maggie was on the bottom of the cage with just her eyes flickering. And early in the morning, Maggie, she died. So I dug a hole, placed her favorite toys, put my old T-shirt on Maggie, and buried her, made a 
dirt mound made across. Even to this day, her legacy still stands. That little bird kept the spirits up for all the eternities. And when she was no longer needed, she went to heaven. That was Shig Yabu with his grandson, Evan Yabu, at StoryCorps in California. After the war, Shig returned home to San Francisco and started playing sports at the local YMCA. That's where he met Willie Ito, who also liked sports, but preferred to spend his time drawing cartoons, a passion he picked up after seeing Snow White and the Seven Dwarves as a child. I remember the seven little men walking across the screen singing, hi-ho, hi-ho, and I thought to myself, wow. That's what I want to be. Not one of the seven dwarfs, but an animated cartoonist. But like Shig, Willie's childhood had also been interrupted at the height of World War II, when he and his family were evacuated from their home and sent to an internment camp in Topaz, Utah. At StoryCorps, Willie told his son, Vincent, about that time. We were only allowed to take what we could carry, two little suitcases with our basic needs, And then when we got to the area where we had to check in, we got name tags. And as we approached the camp, we could see rows of black buildings. The dust was whipping up like fine talcum powder. And I remember looking at my grandfather who had on his dark overcoat and fedora, and it was all white with dust. My grandfather, he immigrated from Japan He had a nice little business, and suddenly the rug was pulled out from under him. And when he went to camp, he actually died of a broken heart. That was the first time that I attended a funeral. Back then, the makeup process, the embalming and whatever was crude, and it was done in camp. So my grandfather didn't look like my grandfather. That gave me an image that I could never erase out of my mind. And doing uh, cartoons, that was really, I guess you might say, some form of escapism. While we were in camp, I honed my interest in animation with the old Sears and Roebuck catalogs. I would spend meticulous hours drawing little figures in the margins And then I would flip it like a flip book. And that was my very early foray into the art of animation. So when we came back from camp, although I wanted to be a Walt Disney artist, I didn't think that I would be going to work there because for me being incarcerated for three years, what kind of chance am I gonna have to work at a place like Disney? Can you tell me what it was like the day you went in for your first interview at Disney Studios? I'm 19 years old that particular day. I stepped into the elevator, and as the door was closing, it suddenly swung open. And standing before me was Walt Disney himself. As Walt stepped in, he nodded, and I was thinking to myself, oh my God. Literally, oh my God. (laughs) I always perceived Walt Disney as sort of a lily white studio. 
But a uh, Japanese American, Iwo Takamoto, walked in and says, We love your work. You're hired. And I'm thinking, This can't be true. They said, We're going to start you in the lady unit. Back then, the studios had inking and painting department with nothing but ladies working in it. So I thought, Well, that must be the entry level. Then when you cut the mustard, they'll move you up into animation. But It was Lady of Lady in the Tramp. And the very first scene that they assigned me to work on was the iconic spaghetti kissing scene. When I came to Los Angeles to seek my fame and fortune, it was quite intimidating. But if I'm in front of a blank sheet of paper with a pencil, I find such solace. I knew by hook or crook, this is what I want to do. And today I am very proud of what I did. That was Willie Ito at StoryCorps in Los Angeles. After Lady and the Tramp, Willie went on to animate shows like The Jetsons and The Flintstones. Technically, Willie retired in 1999, but that same year, he got a call from his old friend Shig and agreed to do one last job. More on that after this short break. Hi, this is Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. Support for NPR and the following message come from Subaru, celebrating their 12th annual Subaru Share the Love event now through January 2nd. For every new Subaru purchased or leased during the event, Subaru will donate $250 to your choice of charities like the ASPCA, Make-A-Wish, Meals on Wheels, or the National Park Foundation. To learn more, go to Subaru.com share. Love, it's what makes Subaru, Subaru. The NBC sitcom Friends turned 25 this year, and it's still here. Right now, it's one of Netflix's biggest shows. But does it hold up? The greatest failure, I think, of the show is that it's not funny. What our enduring relationship with Friends says about us. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Willie Ito and Shig Yabu shared a unique bond, having both survived being interned as children. But it would be decades before they would speak to each other about the history that linked them. We never talked about the camps. And it was later on in life that we talked to each other. I don't know why. I guess I thought that nobody really cared. Well, there's that saying, shikataganai. And it means it happened and we'll just forget about it. And that's what a lot of Japanese felt. What else can we do about it? There was a certain amount of shame plastered on all Japanese Americans because it was the Japanese that bombed Pearl Harbor. Actually, when I went to school, the teacher said, I want you guys to write an autobiography. Well, I thought, what else is there to talk about but the camp? But soon after that, our teacher asked me to come up to the desk and told me, 
I do not ever want you to talk or write about camp. But guess what? Now I write about it. I talk about it without shame because I did not do anything wrong. <laughs> I never really gave it a second thought until you called me once. I was 65 at that point. Just about ready to retire after a 45-year <laughs> career, and I was ready to hang up my pencil. You says, would you be interested in illustrating this book that I wrote? And I says, well, Shig, you know, God, I'm, I'm tired. I, I just want to enjoy life, you know. <laughs> but then you sent me the manuscript, and I'm reading it when I realized, oh, my gosh, this is about our incarceration. It was a story of your pet, Maggie. I had kids by then. I would ask my kids, do they teach or mention anything about our incarceration? And they'll say, well, they would briefly say World War II, the Japanese were sent to camps, and then that was about the extent of it. So I thought, you know, if I could help Shig illustrate his book so the books could be given to kids and grandkids. I think it'll be worth it for me to sit down and do this. And of course, the rest is history. I think the story has to be told over and over because there are a lot of people still that say that actually happened, that existed. So you're an inspiration. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. We're the last of the survivors of that era. And to be able to talk about it, I feel very proud to pass on this experience. That's old friends Willie Ito and Shig Yabu, who after writing the children's book Hello Maggie, helped shed light on some of America's darkest days during World War II. That's all for this episode of the StoryCorps podcast. It was produced by Mia Warren, Sylvie Lubau, and Judd Esty Kendall. Our production assistant is Eleanor Vasili. Our intern is Zara Krim. Jarrett Floyd is our engineer. Fact-checking by Natsumi Ajisaka. And special thanks to StoryCorps facilitators Rochelle Kwan and Kevin Oliver. To see what music we used in this episode and to see original artwork, go to our website, storycore.org. And join us next week when we'll bring you two stories that'll be certain to get you in the holiday spirit. For the StoryCorps podcast, I'm Jasmine Morris. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by supporters of StoryCorps, an independently funded nonprofit organization. Go to storycorps.org to learn more.